This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, we discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join us. Today, my guest is Rebecca Tossig, whose new book is Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary, Resilient, Disabled Body, just out from Harper One. The book is a memoir told in essays. Rebecca is a teacher and a writer whose work can be found in such places as Time Magazine, as well as in many memoirs on her wildly popular Instagram site, sitting underscore pretty. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me. I'm so glad to have you here. It's a joy. And your new book is a wonder. So we're going to get to that. I want to just say my audience is writers, and we want to get them some help on how to do the work. But let's get them a little background. And here's a curious moment. I have to admit this. I'm nervous about the language I'm going to use here. And as the listeners are about to find out, this absolutely underscores the need for your work. In your words, you say you are a disabled person. If I had said that without the qualifier that you had said that, well, half of the people listening might have winced or sighed or had some response to my language. So you've been disabled since you were a toddler, and you've been writing and publishing since when? I've been writing since I was a very small person, but it was originally really angsty poems that I would write in my big (laughs) fat notebook in the car and stare out whimsically out the window and write these awful poems. I continued writing in one form or another all the way through undergrad and into graduate school, but the kind of writing that you read in the book, personal writing, started later in graduate school. I was into my PhD program already, and I discovered disability studies, which was this transformative lens that I could look through and look back on my life um, and understand it in, in new ways. And during that time, I found myself just overwhelmed with thoughts and needing to process them. So I went to Instagram, the account that you mentioned earlier, as just a space to work some of that out and to connect with people. And that sort of snowballed into more writing and more things to explore. And that turned into the book. So I've been writing for a very long time, but it was, I think, maybe 2015 when I started that Instagram account, which actually is, actually, that's longer ago than I realized when I look back. That's like (laughs) over six years ago now. So yeah, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. And I've read you on various platforms, including in Time Magazine, Good Company, The Florida Review. But more and more, I, I, I wonder about that, that time, that six years spent online. How has the presence of such an immediate audience who can respond, oh, well, well immediately, <laughs> shaped your work, yeah. do you think? Oh, I think that's been a huge part of the process for me in small ways that are actually enormous ways. So even just the fact that I have to fit 
my idea into that tiny space that they lot. It's actually 2,200 characters. And I know that mm-hmm. because I've had to edit and edit and edit down to get to just that one tiny nugget with all of the, the turns in it that I want. And that process of revision, I think, has been really important for my work. But you mentioned the community part of it. And I, I think that has also been powerful in ways I'm sure I don't even know how to calculate. But I do know that the immediacy of conversation and having someone to throw an idea back at me or to feel mm-hmm. my idea immediately, I think that that has created that sense that I'm actually talking to someone in my writing, that I actually am having a conversation with you. We are experiencing something together. Even as I am writing this, sitting at my computer in my study alone, I see you and I feel you as a reader because I think that that has to be a big part of how my voice developed as a writer. But also, I feel really lucky that it's given me a sense of what parts of my work are provocative and confusing and push buttons for people and what part seems to resonate with more people and in ways I don't even expect. And I feel like that has definitely moved me toward ideas, pulled me into conversations in ways I didn't expect. But yeah, it's, it's been a part of this like dance. It feels mm-hmm. collaborative. So mm. I imagine that that has shaped me at least in those ways, but I'm sure in ways I also, I don't even know how to trace. Yeah, I mean, I, I see something reading through your Instagram site that I've never noticed in anyone else's. And, and it's, is it intimacy? It's, it's something about the small space that allows for such precision. And you, you got at it. It's, the, it's literally the word count. Absolutely, you want to get it right in those first few pieces of language. But you get it right, but you get it provocative, but you get it intimate. And I love that. So from Instagram mini memoirs to a memoir told in essays, Let's break this apart a bit. Give us some background on how and why you decided to go from that Instagram and how you honed the voice, how you choose the topics. You include, mm. um, you know, maybe we'll stay on Instagram for a second and then we'll move to the book, but we, you include such moments on Instagram as breastfeeding your newborn in photos and carrying the weight of the response that others have to that. And you also, I, I, I just I just want to stay with it. Yeah, I guess I just want to stay with the Instagram thing for another moment. When we covered that, you know, the people and their immediate responses to that. But you also, you have that subtly subversive handle of yours, sitting pretty. So just let's just, before we leave the topic of Instagram, let's talk about that, that moment when you were figuring out what to call it. When did, you know, that is so subversive and wonderful, but (laughs) what kind of, I mean, talk about the moment of deciding to call it that. You're sitting in a wheelchair since you're a toddler, since you're a small person. Yeah. So what, come on, when you found Sitting Pretty, did you just go, I've got it, (laughs) Or, or what? You know... That's so funny to listen to you describe that because I was sitting in a coffee shop with my, now my husband, not my husband at the time, Micah, and we really just had a literal napkin and I was just jotting down all of these words like disabled or like cripple punk was like a hashtag I was really into the initial starting the Instagram account. And so I was just like 
chair, like just writing down like all of these clunky words and everything felt overdone and Mm -hmm. uh, and like too on the nose and um, and and like uh, awkward and uncomfortable. And um, and yeah, and sitting pretty. I don't even know how that phrase came. I don't know if sitting was maybe a word that I was chewing on. But yeah, I, I wanted it to be exactly the way you've described it. I wanted it to be playful and like you think you know what you're looking at, but actually maybe you don't. And like, I'm really actually just fine right here. Like there's no sob story going on. There's no triumphant like heroism going on. I'm just like hanging out and fine. And I love that you (laughs) see that in that because that's exactly what I want. You know, that's exactly what I would want it to be. I've actually had people bring up that the word pretty is in it at all. And like, talking about feedback from people on the internet, like just like things that people are dissatisfied with. Like, why do we have to fixate on pretty? And it's like, well, Bye. that's really not it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so. No, no, really you got it. it. You got it. Well, I love it. And I, I even love the underscore. It feels like a seat. You know, there's just so much about it mm. that, that works beautifully. And uh, I really congratulated mm-hmm. you, and then I, and I and I just wished I had been in the you know coffee shop watching you scribble it on a napkin, and then I wanted to see your <laughs> face when you when you you know bit into mm-hmm. that. It's it's just kind of wonderful. So you teach, well, you, you write. Oh, yeah, go ahead. One thing I have to note though is that I felt that like oh wow I'm the only one, but actually there are other sitting pretties of other forms online. I found much later, um, so I don't think I was the like first for I don't know maybe I was or maybe I wasn't, but there are other sitting pretties out there with an arrangement of underscores and hyphens mm-hmm. and and what what have you. So I thought that I was the most original, and maybe I wasn't, but it still works. It still d- serves its purposes. It does. I ran into all of those in my initial search, and then I and when I got to yours, and I remembered the underscore, and I'll and I'll put a link in the transcript so people will get to the right one. You write Perfect. and you teach. We're in COVID. You gave birth during the pandemic. You have a partner who, in this terrible time, a husband in this terrible time, required some serious medical care. In other words, you are a working mother with some number of stressors. So how do you make time to write? Oh my gosh, what a question. It's been really stretching. And I thought that writing a book while I was teaching high school was really stretching. And it was, it was a lot. But there's something about this new time. I don't have any answers for you. I don't have any simple, like, here's my key that I unlocked the the door to it, the all the writing. I... It feels like a lot of desperate flailing and um, <laughs> staying up really late at night. And yep, uh, desperate and then, flailing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. It feels like a lot of that. I, mm-hmm. I especially like the way that you described my Instagram account and like the intimacy there is interesting to me. I, I feel like one of the tests that I could like perform on my life to see how much space I have for writing is like what shows up on my Instagram. And it's been very difficult to even put together a post. Just Mm -hmm. my brain is pulled in so many directions. This baby still does not sleep. He's going to be one this month. And we are still, you know, waiting for that night when we will actually have eight hours of sleep in a row. I don't know that Mm -hmm. it will ever happen, but yeah, (laughs) I, 
I, I've been told, I've been told that it's, it's <laughs> possible. So yeah, I don't, I don't have any simple answers. It, it is, it's just scrambling. It's a lot of scrambling and yeah. a brain that feels rather fried. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that even with all of that, some of the writing that I am the most proud of or that I cherish the most has come out of this time too. I wrote a piece for time about just the tangle of joy and and loss in this pandemic, just the way our family has experienced it. And yes. it was one of the pieces of writing that I feel like was more like a wrestling match than anything I've experienced. And then when it was done, it was like, oh, there you are. Mm-hmm. We got there. So but it's all of that at the same time. It is. Yeah. It is. And I read that piece and it was beautiful. And I think the pressure Thank you. to create it, I think a lot of times that the weight pushes things out. You know, if you're writing with one hand while mm-hmm. driving a car, giving birth and, um, you know, driving to see your mother <laughs> in the nursing home, sometimes the sentences are pretty good. Just, you know, be careful mm-hmm. about the other drivers. So let's talk about judgment. <laughs> Who has told you that you have more than enough in your life going on and not to write? And what have you said back? Um, has mm-hmm. that happened to you in this <clears throat> life? You know, I don't know that people are saying that to me directly. Like, those words. Mm-hmm. I think that as a woman, I, it's just sort of like this built-in, I've absorbed enough stories over the, my lifetime. I've, I've known enough women that I admire and watching the ways that the expectations that there are on mothers. I've seen mm-hmm. it from afar for a very long time. And now that I'm in it, all the things I swore I would never feel, I'm like watching myself feel them. Like, mm-hmm. and, and having to, to work through that gut instinct to say like, feeling guilty for having someone watch my son. Like what an absurd thing to feel guilty about. Like this makes every sense, right? Like he is, he wants to get away from me. He is so ready to go out that front door. And, and we have people, um, close that can watch him. And there's still this thing that rises in me that's like, how are you having someone else care for this boy? And it's just ridiculous to watch that bubble in me. So I'm fighting a lot of that myself. And mm-hmm. and I think, I, I feel like I've talked with other women who express similar things of saying, I'm not doing a good job at any of the things I'm supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. so every time I'm making a decision to write or to be a mother, I'm neglecting something. Yes, you are. And that is yep. such a mm-hmm. rotten feeling. <laughs> yes, it um, is. So it's it's an it's a new kind of juggling, but I hope that I'm getting better at being aware of the thoughts that are just thoughts that should not carry any weight that just sort of pass my brain and I want to let mm-hmm. them continue to pass on. But it's it's really hard. It's, yes, it is. It's been harder than I thought it would be. Well, it's very honest. And I, and I really wanted just to get to that um, because through this, you've created a book that I think is a marvel. It's called Sitting Pretty. It's just out from Harper One. And right from the introduction, you turn to us and it is, wow, startling. You look at us and you say to us things that need to be said and you then bullet point your way through what the book is not And then, and only then, after that, you hook elbows with us, and we go with you. And I read it three times to watch how you did it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about voice and how you discovered Mm -hmm. how to use that voice to get us into this place that you live in. Well, I... 
I just want to say I I love hearing your description of your experience reading that intro. I I want you to feel that way. I want you to feel like I'm talking to you. I I think when I wrote it, I felt like I was talking to you. I felt like we were hooking elbows and and going to experience something together. I imagine technically speaking, I, I think that a lot of that voice developed on Instagram with a community of people that were immediately there, like we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. I also think as a disabled woman, a lot of that voice was cultivated in my experiences with people and watching how people respond to me as a disabled person and mm-hmm. a lot of the fears that come up for people or the anxiety or the, the worry or concern or just all of the things that can make that conversation fraught and having to develop a lot of tools for welcoming and inviting and 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 doing something together instead of just like, I don't know, it never makes sense to me to just like stand for my podium and point down at people and like teach in that way, which is funny, the word teach. I mean, I am a teacher. So I, Mm -hmm. I, it's funny to say that I'm, I don't feel comfortable in the role of teacher, but I guess it's like the traditional like lecture at the front. Let me tell you all the things you need to know that you're ignorant about, as opposed to like, let's figure out something together. Mm-hmm. I want you to feel like we're partners in this in some ways. And I I think a lot of that has been developed over time just as a disabled mm-hmm. woman and interacting with people in the world. Well, it comes through beautifully. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's like it's shot oh. not from the pulpit, but it's shot you're walking among the pews. You know, we're sitting... We're getting mm-hmm. up. We're we're strolling with you. We're we are linking elbows. But I I found it to be fascinating and the comfort. But also those bullet points say now just before we go on this intimate experience mm-hmm. here. Let me just tell you what's not going to happen here. And <laughs> and then you're you choosing to write it in essays. Your your essay style allows us to watch you shape your narrative about yourself. And I think the essay format enables you to to build that narrative kind of brick by brick. The essays felt to me very much that there was a construction going on from that first learning about love via episodes of As the World Turns, which I just found hilarious, (laughs) to becoming a world-class voice for accurate representation. I work a lot with writers, and almost to a person, there seems to be this language ascribed to memoirs and essays that people say things like, I don't know, maybe I'll just tell it in essays, as though writing it in essays is easier, that you do not have to do the connective tissue work that one narrative book-length piece requires. So let's talk about the essay format. What is your relationship? I mean, what was your choice process like there and how how mm-hmm. comfortable why you know why the essay everybody wants to write in essays but they I honest to god think that they think it's easier to do so I don't agree what about you hmm. well I think it's interesting to think about the the differences between the two forms I think both of them present unique puzzles and I don't I think they both they both move in both directions for me mm-hmm. I think for the essays I think the reason that it made sense to, and talking with my agent, my agent was kind of talking through with me, like, what should we pitch? What kind of book should be a first book? And I think it felt like I was kind of already doing essays on this Instagram platform. They were just so small. It almost felt like I was going to go through and like pluck eight seeds that I wanted to plant and then turn them Mm -hmm. into trees. Mm -hmm. Um, In a way, something along those lines. And I, I think that 
there's a memoir to come. I think that there's a memoir in me that I, I want to, to explore ideas in a different way. But for this book, it felt like I, I have some a very specific set of ideas that I want to be able to look at closely and carefully. And I, I don't want to have to worry about the overall narrative arc as much for this book. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to talk specifically about feminism and disability and being a woman and how all of those pieces fit together. I want to talk specifically about love and romance and sex and to be able to study that carefully. Not to Mm -hmm. say you couldn't do those things in a memoir, but I I wanted some of that focus that I I was able to start on the Instagram space Mm -hmm. to really just like have my stone and turn it over 40 times and look at it from every possible angle to mix all the metaphors. Um, yeah, I like so, that. And I, I like that it also feels on brand after reading Instagram. It feels like it is mm-hmm, the next step. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that idea that you believe that you have a, a memoir in you, another a book yet to come. Your agent referred to mm-hmm. this as your first book. These are all very hopeful phrases for me because we're 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 big I'm big big fan now. So so there's the question about the arc. If you look up the phrase advocacy journalism, which a lot of people don't know, but it's defined as a genre of journalism that adopts a non-objective viewpoint usually for some social or political purpose. And you're great at advocacy journalism, and I love that you've brought it to Instagram and you've got it in this book. And you're great at it, but are there limits to it? Is there only so much you can say and then you have to find like another topic? Can it be a career, do you think? <laughs> I mean, as you think about going mm. forward, are you thinking about being an advocacy journalism, being in advocacy journalism forever, or are you thinking about it elsewise? So give us a sense of, of definition because you've got a very clear brand right now. Hmm. I love that question. And I, I was unfamiliar with that term. So it's interesting to think about it in that way. Mm-hmm. I think that I, in some ways I, I have become an advocate by accident. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's what I set out to do, but that my writing has kind of done that work for me. My writing has kind of pushed that forward. And I think that for me, when I think about writing... So much of it is an attempt to understand something. I think mm. that that's a huge part of what what drives me is I, I need to understand and connect. I think those are the two driving forces that really fuel my writing. And it's interesting. I have been thinking about your question with different terms. Since writing the book, I feel like so much of the things in that book I understand now. Not to say that those conversations are over by any means, but that like huge fuel of like uh, the question of what role has representation played and how I imagine myself as an adult and into my future. Or what is the relationship between my disability and my womanhood? I think I'll continue to wrestle with those questions forever, really. But I think the initial just like enormous tangle, like if if I was thinking of it as just like a giant spool of yarn that had gotten all tangled. (laughs) I've done so much work to untangle that. And I think as a writer, part of my question has been, well, what's next to untangle? What am I Mm. struggling to understand? And for me, it has just so happened that like the day after I submitted my final manuscript for this book, I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) So I've kind of been presented this giant, you know, like house full of tangled yarn to work through with motherhood. And because I'm disabled, it's all about being a disabled mother. That's just a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so I I suppose that what I, I imagine happening for me is as a disabled person, I continue to write about 
disability. And as my life changes, that conversation changes. So Mm -hmm. in that way, I imagine that that's a pool that continues to give. I don't know if I'm answering exactly what you were looking for, but I think that that's how I think about it. That's good. No, I think it's it's helpful. I think it's very helpful. And I think that- More to explore. Yeah, there is more to explore. And in that recent time piece that we talked about earlier, you have this lovely paragraph We have many paragraphs that are lovely, but there's this one that really stood out for me that isn't about disability. I kind of wanted to encourage Mm. you to and and say, wow, you know, I took, nobody should go into your work thinking it's about disability. It's very much about language. It's very much about identity. It's Mm. very much there. And you have this lovely line where you say, for now, I'm allowing myself to be in the middle of the story, to recognize that there isn't one story here, not even one story per person per day. And you go on to say, but when we're ready to sit in the full stories we've been living, when we are safe and have the space, all the pieces are here. And you talk about how our stories are tangled and complicated, but they're ours. Let them be messy, contradictory, mm-hmm. true. So I'm hoping that you see what we see, which is that you have a guide, you have an eye. And I'm just so, I so celebrate it that through your work, I said to myself, tangled and complicated. And the acceptance of that is so very important to how the way we live now, you know, and, and I hope that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hope we'll get to see you uh, everywhere in that tangled and complicated world. So that's just my way of being encouraging there. But yeah, as we wrap this up, I, I'm, I have to ask you because you teach, I teach, and my students teach me at least as much as I teach them. And how do those worlds intersect for you? Can you give us something you might have learned recently from somebody else that you were teaching? Or maybe you share with us what the teaching does for the writing. How do your worlds inform one another? Yeah, I, I actually, I really do see them as being very twined, mm-hmm. if that's the right word for it. I see mm-hmm. them kind of sprouting from the same desire to understand. I feel like the thing that draws me to teaching, um, the the part of that space that I long for and, and am drawn to is that desire to understand and um, that collaborative um, starting with a question. And then we will continue to pull at that thread until we we land somewhere new together. And I think you mentioned that I'm taking the year off teaching right now. And I miss that process together uh, of of doing that collaboratively, especially the doing it in real time in person together. I miss that space of the classroom where we'll continue to pull at something and we'll start with a question that will lead us to like 10 more questions. And when you do that with other people, and especially when you do that with 14 year olds, I've found you end up landing in places you do not expect. They ask questions (laughs) that throw you off your guard. You do not anticipate that question coming. And I I really miss doing that with with them, with freshmen and uh, freshmen in high school. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> and uh, yes, I think that's very much a part of what I'm trying to do in my writing and what I long to do with people. What draws me to writing is pulling at those threads that I so love to do in the classroom too. Well, we hope you pull at them forever, Rebecca. Thank you so much for your work and, th- and thank you for coming along today. It's a joy to talk to you. It has been such an honor to talk with you and to hear you talk about my writing and read it. It's truly like such an honor. As I mentioned to you before, I always teach the memoir project to my students. So this has been so special for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. 
The author is Rebecca Tossig. The book is Sitting Pretty, just out from Harper One. And if you go to Amazon to buy it, there's a link to which to donate a copy to an underserved library. So go on and do that. See more on her at RebeccaTossig.com. I'm Marion Roach-Smith, and you've been listening to Cordy. Cordy is produced by Over It Studios in Albany, New York. Reach them at overitstudios.com. Our producer is Adam Claremont. Our assistant is Lorna Bailey. Want more on the art and work of writing? Visit marionroach.com and take a class with me on how to write a memoir. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to QWERTY and listen to it wherever you go. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a starred review. It helps others to find their way to their writing lives. 